This is Crusher on Radio, uh, episode six. I'm your host, Richard Anderson, and I'm joined this week by a, another uh, podcasting luminary, as it were. Uh, I think that's probably the right term. Of gee, How many shows do you even do now, Mike? Uh, five. It's, I thought it was more than that. Uh, no. Uh, Bionic, Command Space, Directional, The Prompt, and The Pen Addict. Okay. Five. And do you still do the news? Uh, as of today, no. Oh. I gave the reins back to Dan. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, which is getting too difficult for me to, to do it on a daily basis, so they've taken it back. Uh, that's that's very... Well, It's I'll I'm, I'm miss hearing your voice uh, every day on that, but hey, now I get to talk to you in for real, so that's cool. Exactly. It's not much worse. Yeah. You're you're obviously a passionate music fan. You you reached out to me after I spoke with uh, your former co-host, Patrick Rowan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big music fan, and... Uh, I've been on a bit of a kick with the band in question today. I, I don't know if I don't want to spoil it in case. Well, I guess people have seen the show title, but anyway, um, I've been on a bit of a kick with them recently, and uh, I think I was boarding a plane, um, <laughs> and I was like, "I'm gonna email Richard," and uh, I did, and then because I thought I would bug you because your your show interests me in just its topic really and its form. So uh, I, I wanted to, to geek out about one of my favorite bands for an hour. Great. And it's a band that I've actually been meaning to check out, too, because I've heard lots of good things. They are the Arctic Monkeys. Actually, I don't think there's the duh there, is there? Uh, no, well, they don't give it that, but you wouldn't call them they are Arctic Monkeys. You you would call them the, the Arctic Monkeys. That, and they refer to themselves as the Arctic Monkeys, but they are just Arctic Monkeys. Yeah, it, it sort of depends on the band, because, you know, Whenever there's a plural, it always gets confusing. Sometimes it's the blank, and sometimes it's not. Talking Heads is an example of the latter. It's never the Talking Heads. Right. Yeah, no, they, they refer to themselves as the Arctic Monkeys, like even on stage and stuff. You know, they say, say like, we are the Arctic Monkeys. And this is their, their first record. Mm-hmm. So whatever whatever they say they are, I'm not, uh, which is an interesting title. Uh, set, set this up. How, how did you get into these guys? So this album was released in 2006, which is, so it's approaching 10 years now. Um, the Arctic Monkeys were became famous in Britain um, as a sort of like an underground act. And one of the, the things that was great about them here was they didn't fight uh, music piracy. Um, and in fact, they kind of, not actively, but did kind of encourage it. They put their albums up for free on MySpace, or their EPs. Um, and all their singles, and they rocketed from Nowheresville to becoming the fastest-selling debut album in British music history, which is what this album is. They basically just shot onto our radios and TV screens here um, and have kind of have never gone away since, um, and they've been massively successful, and they were a band that this album specifically and all of their subsequent albums have kind of painted parts of my life, you know? Everybody everybody has that band for them that um, 
tells a story about a certain time in their life, but over the last 10 years, maybe my formative years, uh, the Arctic Monkeys have been around and they've released a new album every two years or so since then. Um, and I've seen them live four times. Uh, I'm, I'm a big, big fan of, of this of this band. I'm At the moment, their most recent release, which is uh, entitled AM, I actually go back and forth between this album and and whatever people say I am, that's what I'm not, the first album that we're talking about today, as to what my favourite is. But I feel like I can't give the newest album that title yet because it's not sat with me for eight years. And that that's a, that, that is a long time to sit with an album, especially by a newer band. So it's it's hard for something that's new to sort of take its place. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, the, the albums in between have all been good, but nowhere near as good as the first album, even after, like... Because the, the, the most recent album's been out for a good few months now, and after this time of all the previous ones, I'd either A, stop listening to it, or B, resign myself that they hadn't even come close to to the first album, their debut album. Um, but after this amount of time, I would say that whilst it's very, very different, a very, very different band from then to now, um, not only with what they sing about, but the way in which they do it and their style, like their, their presence and the, the attitude and even the, the tones of the music, like their music now is heavily influenced by Josh Homm from Queens of the Stone Age. Um, and actually Alex Turner, the lead singer of the Arctic Monkeys and Josh, uh, they collaborate quite a lot together. Um, and both bands' recent albums, most recent albums, they worked on together. So uh, Alex Turner was quite heavily involved in, in the most recent Queens of the Stone Age record. So the, like, even though they're very, very different, I would say that this mo- their most recent release is the one that has been closest to uh, the first. Interesting. I have to go check that out because I really dug this. Um... So I'll have to go. Now I know where to go from here. Work, go check out the new one and work backwards. I guess. Uh, I would say go one, and then it's album five, and then go two, probably four, and then three. Starting to sound like the uh, machete order for the Star Wars films. <laughs> yeah, there's the what are that? What is that order called? I can't. I can't remember. Phantom Edit or something, or is it? No, that's a, some other. No, it's an order, isn't there? Some sort of. Order. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the machete order or hatchet that's order. That's it. Or, machete order. That's it. Yeah. Something, what it was it? Uh, episode four, episode five, episode one, episode two, episode no, episode or episode two, episode three. They're not even doing episode one. Then episode six. Will you allow me to just to yeah to just just confirm? I want to just go down that list again. So you want to go album one, album five, then album one, five. two. So one five two four three. About two four three. Okay, running it down actually kind of makes sense. I don't know why, but we're here to talk specifically about album number one. I did a little, uh, did a little Wikipedia research on this one. It's kind of a concept album. Yeah, I guess so. It, that basically, it's stories. It's a, it's like a collection of stories, and in it, a lot of it focuses around nightlife. And even their songs prior to this, like from their EPs, it, it focused a lot about the nightlife in the north of England, in a place called Sheffield, which is where they grew up, and. Um, this album, even then, like in his in the first album, it really shows Alex Turner's incredible songwriting ability. It, you know, you could take the lyrics of these songs, and, and they are like poetry. The, the, he's very, very, very talented about being able to depict uh, scenarios um, in, in a very, very clever and uh, quite nuanced way. I definitely picked up that. I only I didn't give it a chance to give it more than like a couple listens. So yeah, it's. 
it's mixed in a way where you have to really pay attention to the vocals and it's I'm going to have to the more I listen to it I'm sure the more I'll pick up on it any particular track like that from there you want to single out for just for lyricalness is that a word <laughs> lyricalness if I could pick a certain line or even just like a song that really like sticks out to you there so there's one uh, which is track eight on the album which is called red light indicates doors are secured which is I think my favorite title of uh, everything on the record <laughs> Six in If not we'll have to have two We all coming up at our end on you So I'll get one with you I won't let us have six in Especially not with the food He could have just told us no though He didn't have to be rude so basically what that's re- so the the whole album is referencing a ride home in a taxi cab so, so that whole song series is referencing that and that title red light in red light indicates doors are secured is a sticker that's on the inside of taxi cabs that has a red light and basically what it's saying is when the red light is on the doors are locked um but so it's just this really nice play and i mean and also there's um there's quite a few of the songs like I Bet You Look Good on the Dance Floor, for example, which is like a really big song of theirs. Um, and a lot of it is quite interesting to listen back now because they have the, the lyrics date it at a specific time. So like, for example, they talk about Nokia phones and how um, there's one line where this says uh, you, pr- you press the star after you press unlocked unlock which is the way that you would unlock a nokia phone so you press the unlock key and then press the star key so that there's really interesting lyrics in it like that because it's singing about a specific time and and the age so he, he, and then he's talking about how there's verses and chapters that are in your inbox because you've been out for a night and someone's drunk either you or the person that is texting you um and so there's you know there's lots of love letters and or just drunk messages sitting in your inbox after an evening out. I've I've had nights like that. <laughs> yeah, and and it's good because they're able to capture that. Like they capture, I mean, and I think the the benefit for me is that I'm similar in age to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so the things that they sing about when they're singing about them were very similar to the things that I was going through in my life at that time. Um, and so it was very it's interesting as as that and as they've grown up, I've grown up, and the the types of things that they sing about have changed. So it's it's like this interesting parallel, which is probably one of the reasons why the band has remained so important to me. That makes sense. You know the the relevance. Uh, yeah, it's hard. To, it's you get lucky when you find a band that's sort of on your on your wavelength. I think um, that you can relate to their experiences and having it be contemporaneous too. I think that's sort of a perfect uh, luck strike 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 of lightning there. I think definitely. Yeah, but. After their curiosity, turn in. How old are you? Uh, twenty six. Twenty six. <laughs> Never one hundred percent sure. Yeah, I'm twenty six. Okay. 
Yeah, just quick, uh, again, the power of Wikipedia. Uh, yeah, Alex Turner's uh, 28, so that all adds up. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, you know, band, disco- band discovered at 16, still, still Ralph is still producing at uh, 10 years later. I don't, I don't have that luxury. <laughs> I went to see them in concert like three weeks ago. How are their live shows, anyway? So, the first time that I ever saw them live, which was after their second album, it's one of those things where I'm always will always be gutted that I didn't get to see them during the ascension of the first album, you know, when they were booked into small venues, because uh-huh. I've only ever been able to see them in large um, concert halls, arenas, or festivals. And um, so I saw them after their second album, which was called Favourite Worst Nightmare. And I saw them at a venue in London called the Alexandra Palace, which is a large indoor venue, um, but it's all one floor, like this, it's only standing. Um, but it's, it's it's quite a large venue, and then they were very very awkward, very shy. Um, they there were there's no semblance no semblance sorry of any frontman mentality. Like it was very much like muttering and making really awkward jokes and just getting through the music. But when they play the music, like it's just a powerhouse. Like all of that goes away. Um, but now um, Alex Turner, especially the lead singer, has developed a, a kind of a persona and it. Whether it is how he actually is as a person now or not, but you know, a lot of people compare—not compare—they they, they criticise him, saying that he's trying to be like Elvis on stage, um, in that he he has slick back hair and he wears like you know tight clothes and he has a comb that he has on stage with him and he sometimes fixes his hair, um, and there's lots of pointing gestures and hip movements. I think it looks really cool. Um, if you want to, if you want to find footage of this, you want to look for Glastonbury 2013, um, because that that was where he debuted this new look. Uh, because it was, I think, it was the first time that they played a show with some of their newest material. Oh. So, which was on the 2014 album. Um, so you'll see it, like you'll you'll see examples of it, and that was where he started to receive criticism. I think that he, it is very cool, and and I, and I I admire it quite greatly because I I think the guy is sort of like for me he's like the the height of cool now um and it shows now in the music the music is much more confident they're making jokes and he's interacting with the crowd and and stuff during during the whole set and and now they've gone from when i saw them all they had was some some big bright lights behind them but now they have like uh, they have fireworks and confetti and um, I, I got to see them also at, uh, perform a song at the Brit Awards, which is a, a big British Music Awards that we have here every year. And um, they came out with there was a bigger A and an M lowered into the middle of the sort of the arena, which was set on fire. Um, so you know, now they have this uh, feeling about them, which is much more uh, brash and bold, and, and they're definitely showmen. Think that, you know, the importance of being a showman in live music is is vastly underrated. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, the Elvis comparison, I'm totally down with that as long as it's young Elvis. You know, you don't want like you know old fat uh, Elvis from 1970 something. Yeah, it's definitely young, attractive, cool Elvis. <laughs> he's, he's not eating burgers on stage. Good, thank goodness. Yeah, I mean, the con- I've always felt that a concert is a is a visual experience. So, you know, you're not just there. If if you close your eyes and it just sounds like they're playing the record, it, you're not getting the whole experience. It's you have to be able to you have to be willing to put on a show, and if that means you know, flaming letters, which is totally cool by the way. Yep. Yeah. One band I 
I'm not a huge fan of them, but I would love to see Rammstein live just because of the pyrotechnics. Yeah. It's important to, to be able to put on a good show. And I think a lot of bands, especially if you're coming from a sort of an indie scene where it's, uh, you know, honesty and we're like, you're coming from something from a small venue, small area, small thing where you can't project like that. It, it's, it's easy to sort of not try to just not develop that skill. One of the things that I think is maybe why they made this change is that they're not the indie band anymore because they've been around for so long. They've developed a large following now and, it, and they have quite a mainstream following. Um, you know, it's, just, it's the same sort of thing. You know, you go to the concert and everybody knows the new album, but nobody knows any of the previous songs. But they're, they're big now. I mean, they had the... Funnily enough, even though I mentioned earlier that, that statistic about, you know, they still have the fastest-selling debut album in all of British music history. The, the first um, album, it's this album, that we're kind of somewhat focusing on, it, it shifted... Well, it sold. It shifted is what uh, Wikipedia says, a very British way of putting it. 360,000 copies in week one. And it remains the fastest-selling debut album by a band, and it's gone quintuple platinum. But you know, even even though for for all of that, they received their first UK number one single this year, which was I I, I believe it was called "Why Do You Only Call Me When You're High," which was the second single release from the upcoming album. So the album AM wasn't out yet, um, but they. They'd released a couple of singles and that went in at number one. Because their albums were such a big deal, nobody bought the singles. Because why would you wait? Yeah. I've I've never came I wasn't really of age when the single was a uh, thing, then again, neither were you. So Yeah. You know, it's it's only now that people just you can actually do like the sing buying singles and I I never do that. Uh, unless it's well maybe like the I think the last single I bought was the the Get Get Lucky, the, the from Daft Punk. That's it. Good good shout. I did the same actually. Yeah. You know, it's because you need to have that song now, but very few, usually the, uh, the album is just right there. You can just go get that. And that's, that's what I, what I've always gravitated to listening to an album, which explains the format of the show if you're curious. Yeah. So I'm also looking at their sales figures here. And, uh, so the album has now sold one and a half million copies in the UK and it did sell 305,000 in the US too. Oh, is, that, is that the new one or the uh, the, or the, or the or the first one? I, I've lost track already. <laughs> That's the first. This is the first album. Back okay. to the first album. Now. Yes, we could talk about the record. Yeah, let's do that. So, where 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 exactly were you when you when you first heard this? And I know you gave me sort of like the brief story, but uh, let, let's go a little more in depth. Like, where were you? Well, I was living in East London at the time, um, and back then as well, East London then wasn't like East London now, and it maybe was a little bit more befitting of the of this place that they're singing about um which was a little bit more working class so there were definitely you know um kids getting in trouble and uh kids getting drunk at an earlier age and stuff things like that um you know bear in mind the alcohol age is 18 years so i'm you know i was 16 and, and i had started drinking um so it kind of was befitting the album kind of fit that point in my life and I was still in school. I was in what we call college, but is is basically what you do between the ages of sixteen and eighteen. Here, um, we call it college because at the time it was a choice that you made if you continued to go on to to sixth form college, which I did. Um, and I was kind of at this point in my life discovering the music that I liked. You know, I, I discovered indie rock music, having had a, a life of pop music up until that point because it was what was you know in the charts. 
Um, and the Arctic Monkeys were one of the very first bands that that I'd listened to in this guise, and and they opened my eyes up to a whole world of music that had then st- stuck with me and has stuck with me since. Like this style of music, guitar rock and indie rock, is the type of music that I enjoy the very most. Um, and all of the years that 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 went by, you know, from my most controlled party days, so uh, not controlled. Um, contained like basically the time when I was partying the most uh was between kind of the ages of sort of 17 to, to 22 and the Arctic Monkeys and, and this style of music kind of stuck with me throughout that whole time um, especially as they can have continued to solidly release albums since um, and every couple of years uh, has been punctuated for me by seeing them on tour promoting the new album the new record like i've i've seen them four times and i've seen them on the tours and or festival tour for each new record that came out as you know as, as part of this so they've kind of followed me through that way i think and it's difficult to remember where i first heard them like i came into contact with the arctic monkeys by downloading an ep of theirs um which i believe was called don't think i can say this on air um yes you can. <laughs> I I don't swear on on podcasts. Uh it, it I'm I'm trying to find the exact name. I think it was like who the uh who they f are the arctic monkeys was the first sort of time that I came into to contact with them which was a uh, EP that they'd released which had a couple of songs on it. I think one or two songs on it that that found its way onto this album. Um one of them being from the Ritz to the Rubble. And also, uh, there was a an album, sorry, a song, which name is I'm now is now escaping me. I'm trying to find this in Wikipedia now, but Wikipedia is not being very helpful to me. Uh, but yeah, so I kind of found out about them that way. Fake Tales of San Francisco was another song that was on um, the the sort of the the collection of music that I saw, and it was kind of coming from MySpace was where all of I found out about all of this. Um, and then when they uh, then released their first album, I was kind of... Well, I'd actually illegally downloaded it like a month before a release. I remember doing that. So that was what I used to do at the time. I, I did... I've never... I never pirated music to save the money on the music. Um, I pirated music to get the music quicker. It never bothered me to buy music. like Because at this stage in my life, I had an iPod. And I had a, a part-time job. And I would spend... Um, every week I would spend £25 or something buying three or four new albums from iTunes. I used to love doing that. I used to love going on there and buying some stuff from the new releases, maybe from new bands or bands that heard their new albums coming out. I only ever pirated music when I couldn't wait for it. Sometimes I'll buy it if it was good enough. I bought this album. I remember buying this album. Um, and I also own it on vinyl as well. Um Many of my favorite albums I, I own on vinyl as well. I, I do also have a, a record player. I have a turntable, so I'm, I'm not just buying the vinyl. I also do have somewhere to play it. But yeah, so I, I bought bought this, but it was after pirating it because I simply couldn't wait for this album. And I think with the exception of AM, uh, I did that on every one of them. Yeah, it's I, I can totally sympathize with that, you know, not wanting to wait. Um I don't know. I I didn't get into like actually buying music kick until, well, until after I switched the Mac and had an iPod and got on iTunes for a while. But uh, 
you know, Napster was always there. Napster is how I discovered almost every band I'd listened to uh, when I was a teenager, which, yeah, that, that's not the healthiest way to go about it, is it? No. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> I, I like trying. to think I like to think I'm atoning for my sins now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you make up for it in the end. And like, there's the other thing where it's, yeah, I know I did that, but I've, you know, I've given them the money. I've given them money back in other ways. And I know it's maybe not the right thing to say, but it was what I did. You know, um, I've now seen them in in. Oh, let me change that, actually. I'm, I'm looking on Wikipedia now. Five Minutes with the Arctic Monkeys was the first time that I came into contact with them, which was their first EP, which was released in May 2005. Then Who the Expletive of the Arctic Monkeys was their second EP that I then came into contact with in April 2006. And these were both on MySpace. And then they released uh, their album not too long after the second EP. And it's... I want to... He, my, MySpace as a way to discover bands that that that, that's in, that interests me because that was just uh, very much like a, a a very short duration thing I think where there's this one very brief period in the mid two thousands where you know you could discover a band on MySpace before both MySpace fell apart and uh, yeah and that because it was kind of like MySpace served a couple of different things it was for selfies when selfies before they were called them that and then it was music bands i mean that was kind of what it was for in the first place right myspace came about as a way for new bands and upcoming artists to show their music um, and they had they always had like pretty good tools like for people to upload their music and like there could be players and stuff like that and you could embed tracks on your own page if you loved the band um and that was how i came into contact with a bunch of artists at that time but i think of all of the ones that i found then arctic monkeys are the only ones that have stood the test of time i think it's just interesting that you know nowadays there's no good central location to really discover new music in that way you know, there's you've got things like Bandcamp and SoundCloud and stuff like that, but it's it's all MySpace was like I think the last time you had one good central clearinghouse to discover new bands because it was so much more right. So like there are more social network music discovery services now than there was then for sure, but it was also the social network was also the music social network, and the social network which is Facebook doesn't really seem to care about music. Um, or anything else other than Facebook, really. I mean, I mean, that's not meant as a slight, but that's what they do. Like, they were set up to be then exactly what they are now. And MySpace was set up to be a band's website, and then it found its way into social networking before social networking was a thing. So there isn't that, that sort of intrinsical link between music. A bunch of people have tried to find it. Twitter tried to find it, if you remember. I remember if anybody yeah. if anybody <laughs> remembers. Yeah, I think that that app lasted how long? Like three weeks, <laughs> if that. Um, I mean, and I feel like that there are people still trying to do it, like SoundCloud, Hype Machine's really cool. Um, and so there are a bunch of different services, like um, This Is My Jam is another one. And then you know you've got like Beats and Audio and Spotify that all have their own integrations, and Spotify and Facebook try and do their thing together, but it's you know it's all bolted on, and none of it is organic um, and I think that was the big key for MySpace and especially for finding bands like the Arctic Monkeys 
was because of this, and, and Arctic Monkeys became important because of MySpace. That was where they gained a following. That was why Radio 1 in the UK started playing them, and that's how they ended up getting to be where they are. It was because of this. Like They weren't around for very long before they became the most successful British band. Like They, they weren't around for very long before that point. Like they, they were just, they started releasing their music. Like they formed as a band, they started releasing their music, and they, were, they just became huge. They formed in 2002. So the band formed in 2002, and they released their first EP in 2005. And then by 2006, they had sold 350,000 albums in week one. That's not the way that it usually goes. Not at all. Not at all. And it's a testament to the power of social um social media even in the early days of it uh, for for just getting the word out uh what worries me is that uh you know it's you don't have with everything being so sort of scattershot you don't have the ability to pick up that that uh critical mass as fast and also too i don't think i think that's something that you can really only do in a in a country like uh like the UK where you need a smaller number of people it may maybe the same percentage wise but over here you know 350,000 copies is is kind of like a drop in the bucket over here. You know, even for our first week. Is it though? It's I'd have to meet, you know, double check on sort of the uh, the actual numbers of uh, of things, but yeah, you know, um now let me just like google like fastest selling album in America. See what see what comes up. Because even in its its release in the US, it got to number 24 in the Billboard 200. Right. This album. So, I mean, it's not obviously it's not as, you know, but it still did a, a pretty good job of of getting pretty high up the chart, and it got to number one in the independent albums in Billboard. That was where it got. That was the highest point that it got in the charts in the states. Yeah, and yeah, you know, uh, independent's also sort of operating on a different uh, different standard. It's 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 something I've 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 looked at the British music industry with sort of curiosity because it's it it seems to operate very differently than what you get here in America, just because of I guess population dynamics. You know, you'll have like huge hits over there that really should take off here, and they just never do for whatever reason. I think there's a taste, in, a diff- different taste in music as well, though, which equates to a bunch of it. Like there seems to be some fundamental differences in the way that trends are perceived and the way that music is perceived by certain groups in certain countries that equate to there being some successful stuff because it doesn't necessarily work the same way around. Bands that are successful in the U.S. and not huge in the U.K. And and it doesn't always work like that. Like Imagine Dragons were massive in the US, but nobody had heard of them here <laughs> until like Radioactive. But that song was kind of just like, oh, have you heard that Radioactive song? And then they're winning Grammys, and people are like, who are this band? You know, so it it can kind of work in both ways. I think. True. Um, one of my absolute favorite bands is uh, an older group called Sparks, who are from America, and they only ever really got any success. In, in Europe and in England in particular, are, are you familiar with them at all? Sparks, yeah, no, I don't think so. Okay, yeah, their their biggest hit uh, in England was a song called "This Town Is Big Enough for the Both of Us" in 1974. Oh yeah, I know that song. Yes, yes, yes that that band. Yeah, well, it's it sucks because there's they have a lot of American fans, but they're just more popular over there. So whenever they tour, they tour England and Western Europe, and us poor Americans fans get left in the dust. They're from LA. You can't even play shows at home. 
Well, like, are you familiar with the the girl band uh, Heim? I'm not, but I, I've heard the name in passing. I have a friend who's big into uh, girl pop groups. There are three piece girl band that, that so I, I know. Adore I've heard that. the name, but I don't not really familiar with their works. Yeah, they they came about in the scene of in the last twelve months, and they're an American band. I believe they're from California, um, but they got their break here, um, and now they're massive in in the states. But they received they were signed, I think, to Universal in the UK first, and then became big here, and then it was taken back to America, where they're now you know chart toppers in the states too. The other problem, I, the other problem with this, as I don't pay much attention to like what's in the charts, I just I pay attention to what uh what grabs my attention and what's good to what I what sounds good. So, mm-hmm. and there's this brief moment, uh, just a few, just I think last year, where oh good, there's actually stuff. It, there's stuff that in the charts that I actually like. Uh, I finally saw I saw the first concert of a band that had a, a song in the top forty at age thirty last year. <laughs> band called uh, Icona Pop. There that. Swedish uh, dance duo. Yeah, I'm familiar, yeah. You're, what am I doing? I'm seeing a band with a song in the top 40. Go figure. <laughs> I guess we could talk about the record some more. <laughs> yes. They're, uh, their style on this. Uh, you're saying this, you know, they don't really operate in this uh, style anymore. This is a sort of, uh, it strikes me as kind of a uh, faster version of, fan, of, it reminds me a lot of Franz Ferdinand, actually, which is... A, it's t- signed to the same label. Oh, that, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, they're both on Domino. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Franz Ferdinand, especially their their most recent one's very good. But uh, the Arctic Monkeys definitely have a bit more of an arena rock thing going for it in a good, and I say that in a good way. Yeah, I think that their most recent stuff is more akin to that. Like the this first album was fast, it's fast, it's fast music. Like, um, and one of my favorite things about them, and it, it really shows in this album. And it shows in later works as well. Is they they're a big believer in false starts and false finishes to songs. So like y- you think a song is going to be one thing, and it turns out to be something else after thirty seconds, or you think the song is over, and then it picks up again. And, and I really love that. That sort of like that. There's a couple of tracks on the album where basically the song just finishes and it starts again, or there's just these really really harsh shifts in tempo that I, I enjoy a lot. And especially if you're seeing them perform this music, obviously that is extremely exciting to, to be in and around people when that's going on. Uh, it's, especially, it's, I can see that working out great live, especially when you know it's coming. And you know, if they can just drag out that pause a little more, just, oh, yes. I, I'm a sucker for that trick as well. Um, a good example on, on, this, on the first album, on whatever people say I am, is um, A Certain Romance, which is the final song. It starts off as like this really melodic track before the guitars kick in and take you through the next five minutes. In the same way. No, not in the same way. So not in the same way. What other songs in this one really stick out at you? Stick out to you? Um, so, that, I mean, there's a few. So, tracks like "The View from the Afternoon," "I Bet You Look Good on the Dance Floor," and "When the Sun Goes Down." Oh, and another one called "Marty Bum." They are the big songs. They are, they continue. Those four songs will still be played at every single Arctic Monkeys gig. And like, for example, they may skip out 
all but like one track from each of the other albums in between. Um, but those those sort of four songs will always be played because they were they are the they are these songs and they continue to be these songs, like they are the ones that get the biggest reactions even after all this time, and they're because they are absolute like powerhouses of of this type of music that they're creating. They're like really fast paced and incredibly written songs with great meanings to them, and they're kind of like just in most instances about just careless abandon or like trying to pick up a girl in a bar or fighting with your mates trying to get home after a night out. And uh, I mean, th that's kind of the great things about their music and especially this is so uncomplicated in, in the actual themes that they're trying to portray, but they do it in a very poetic and, and really great sounding way. But the song, the themes of the songs are just like, it's four lads and they're just having a good time and this is the stuff that they're singing about whilst they're having the time of their life basically and i think that's one of the things why it resonates and obviously this music probably it does if you look at like the, the concerts especially it resonates with lads you know the guys it re it resonates with that because it is about just enjoying yourself and having a few drinks and just having a good time and and they're northern lads so they like maybe a drink more than most and you know, it's it, and it comes across in the music, but a fun in a fun way. Like they're not like um, hooligans, you know, but they do a pretty good job of of capturing that sort of feeling of being young and having like abandon. And those sort of four songs really do a good job of portraying that in a really good way. I think. Yeah. Since I'm American, maybe you can clear this up for me. What the heck does Marty actually mean? See, again, I think that's a colloquialism that I don't even get. I, I actually don't know what it means. I've never – it's like – so I've looked it up. It's like moody, so sulky. Uh, uh, so it's okay. a northern English adjective, Google tells me. So um, it just means a Mardi bum would be like a sulky layabout person who hasn't got a job or is any good. Oh, that helps. Yeah. Um you know, talking about the sort of the themes of this record reminds me of a, of a American group called Japan Droids, and their their first album is very much in that sort of uh, letting loose, letting your hair down, sort of uh, you know party party rock vein. It's a little more minimalist. They're just uh, drums and guitar, but it's mm -hmm. so you don't have quite the same sort of uh, sound as uh, as Arctic Monkeys, but it's very much in that vein that you can get. It's amazing what. That what they can do just in, in that simple, simple setup, and uh, when I say drum, drum, drum guitars, they, I think they're better than the Black Keys at this too. So, and that's that's quite a, a, a commitment because they are very good at that. The Black Keys. <laughs> yeah, so definitely check them out uh, if 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 you want more of that sort of like in this vein. They're they're a newer group. They only have two albums and a and a collection of singles, but it's it's good stuff. I'll take a look. Yeah. And thank you, thank you for 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 help for googling the, that uh, you know two countries divided by a common language, right? Yeah, even I didn't get it. So <laughs> I, it's funny how I've, I've all this time I've just kind of ignored the the meaning. It's like ah, uh, whatever it means, I like it. You know, funny. Sometimes that's all you need. Mm -hmm. So yeah, this is a band that's that you've been that you've been following and has been has been following you. Uh, can you know, let's wrap this up. Uh, maybe you tell me some of the a uh, little bit of. Uh, how they've how you and them have progressed over the years. So I think that one of the interesting things, like their music, has become more about love 
like actual love as opposed to meeting a girl in a pub um, as time has gone on and they've started to he started to sing love songs he doesn't sing the typical love song though like um they don't sing about uh the girl of his dreams you know there's a couple of songs so on the second album there's a song called 505 which is about not really seeing a girl because they're on opposite sides of the world and they meet back in a hotel room in a hotel um, and they always stay in room 505 together um, and so there's that sort of interestingness about it um, and there's another song that um, oh, I need I need to remember the name of it now but it's about I hate it when you put on the spot like this um, sorry that's my job no 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 it's 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 just because I, I one of the the interesting things over time's gone on, I remember that I'm quite good at remembering lyrics. I can pick up lyrics after like listening to an out a song like three times, and I've just got the I just got them. It's just something I've always had. I, I'm I consider it like a gift of my own. I because I, I love lyrics. It's what I love in music. So maybe that's why because I, I listen to them more intently. But I can remember the lyrics. I can give you the quotes really easily. But remembering the name of the song that they tie to, I don't remember. Um, and I think that's come from listening to the music on like iPods and MP3 players because I used to listen to the music sitting in my room looking at the CD case or whatever, but now I'm just out and about and it's just playing. But anyway, a song that I'm thinking of is called Suck It and See, which is from, which is the title track of the album that it comes from. And one of my, it's got one of my favorite lyrics in it that, that, he writ, that he's written. Um, and basically, it's kind of him trying to. He's trying to get a girl to, to come along with him, basically. You know, he's trying to chat up a girl. And so the idea is like, suck it and see, you never know. It's like, that's the lyric that I really like is, that's not a skirt, girl, that's a sawn-off shotgun, and I can only hope you've got it aimed at me. Which I just wow. think is just fantastic. I just think it's fantastic. Right. That, that, that actually is, yeah. And, and because it's, this idea is like, you are so dangerous. And so appealing. However, I hope that you are going to ruin me, because you know uh, that that's just how I want it to be. I don't care that you're going to destroy me. What a way to go, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's not the worst. And they have another song, um, which uh, I'm looking at. So they have another song which is called Cornerstone, and in Cornerstone. Uh, Alex is singing about trying to find a girl that's left him by going to places that um, they used to go together. And it's this song of pining after someone. Like, for example, he says, um, he's, he, there's one point he's saying he's getting into the taxi and he tells that this is the lyric. He says, and I elongated my lift home. I let him go the long way round. I smelt your scent on the seatbelt and kept my shortcuts to myself. It's like he smells her scent, so it might be that's another girl's perfume. But because he smells that, he takes a longer ride in the taxi. There's little things like that. There's these little snippets, and they paint these pictures that I love. Um, and this song ends with basically he goes from bar to bar and he approaches girls that he thinks is the girl that he's looking for, but it's not. And it all is kind of like every chance ends in he asks if he can call this girl that he meets by the name of the girl that he's looking for 
Oof. finds out it's not her. It's like, can I call you this name? Whatever the name will be. And they all rebut him. But it ends with him finding the girl's sister in a bar. And the sort of the last line is, she said, I'm not, I'm really not supposed to, but yes, you can call me anything you want. Just little things like that. Just so fantastic to me. Mm. And anybody that likes lyrics, you just need to listen, get the liner notes and just listen and read because Alex Turner is, I just think he's a poet and he has written all of the songs with just a couple of exceptions. Like he has written the words of all of them. They are his songs over like five albums. And like there's a, a couple where he has written them in conjunction with somebody else. Uh, one of his write, writing partners is Jamie Cook. And there's one on the most recent album where he reads a poem from a friend of his. It was an actual poem. They turned it into a song and they called it I Want to Be Yours, um, which is their most recent single, actually, which is a really weird but great song. Um, the, the lyrics are very, very, very strange in it. And and when I first heard them, I knew it was a there was something odd about the song. I thought it was a cover, but it turned out it wasn't Turner's writing. But it is a really good song. But it's just very, very different to the type of stuff that they that they write. I couldn't recommend them enough. And also as well, if you get interested, then um, there's a, a side project that Alex Turner did called The Last of the Shadow Puppets, which was a male duet with um, the lead singer of a band called The Rascals. And Miles Kane was his name, um, and they did a, a, a one-album project together called Last of the Shadow Puppets, which is fantastic. So I would suggest listening to all of those albums in the order that I suggested and then going on to Last of the Shadow Puppets. I, I, I could talk for many, many hours about this, this, uh, this band, but uh, I fear... I should stop. This, this was great. Where 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 can we find you on the internets? Where where, where to start? Uh, I would say probably the best thing to do is to go to either mikehurley.net because there's links to stuff, or I'm on Twitter. I'm imike i m y k e. And usually that's followed up by something, and it, and that it feels weird to hear you say that and have me be the first person to speak after that. Wow. <laughs> would you like me to thank you and say goodbye? <laughs> Thank you for joining me today, Richard. No, thank you for joining me. This was an absolute pleasure, and it's an honor that to, for you to have reached out to talk to me. And thank you for thank you for joining me on to another really awesome band. I'm gonna have to, I'm going to be spending a, I'm about to move apartments, so I'm that's a financial burden. So I'm going to have to make sure to set aside money to buy records again. <laughs> Do it. Thank you for uh, allowing me the time to talk about this band that I love so much. No problem. I'm glad we could, I'm glad we could find the time. That's the important thing time zones and everything oh boy <laughs> yeah they're not the best yep we're uh, crush this is crush on radio part of constellation fm uh, you can find us on itunes you can find us on twitter at crush on radio on the facebook as well and uh leave us a review we'd, we'd be honored to hear from you thanks mike have, have a great one you too 